Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. Hope you are all doing well, uh, enjoying the nice freezing cold weather. You guys thought spring was here. Yeah, just just kidding, right? That's terrible. I hate cold weather. Um, anyways, I'm glad, glad that you are here. Glad to be with you. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if it is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We, we are so thrilled, so excited you are here worshiping with us, and I would love a chance uh, just to reach out and say thank you so much for uh, joining us today. So you do me a huge favor. If you could just pull out your phone right now and text the word welcome to the number you should be seeing on the screen soon, hopefully, maybe. There we go. Look at that. Awesome. You can just text welcome to that number. That's, that's all I'm asking you to do. I would just uh, love a chance to, to just reach out, give you a phone call, and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that huge favor, uh, I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, if you prefer a more old school approach to it, we do have cards and pens on our table outside. You're more than welcome just to fill that out as you head out today. We also have a free gift uh, we'd love to put in your hands before you leave. So please stop by there uh, before you go home today. And we are going to continue uh, in our series going verse by verse through the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out. Uh, we're going to be hanging out in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41 today. So Acts chapter 2. And as we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, there's a lot happening in Acts chapter 2, right? At the beginning, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Uh, disciples are speaking in tongues, different languages, a huge crowd. We're going to find out just how big the crowd was that, that gathered to hear what was happening and see what was happening. And then Peter gets up before this huge, massive crowd, preaches his first sermon, preaches his first sermon, and it's all about who Jesus is. And he makes it absolutely clear that Jesus is both Lord and God and Messiah, the Savior. That's what he's preaching about. He's preaching about Jesus is, is our Lord. Jesus is God, and he's also Christ. He's also the Messiah and Savior. And now what we're going to look at today is how the crowd responds to this sermon. Let's see what happens. We kind of teased this out a little bit at the end of last week, but that's what we're going to spend our time looking at is the crowd's response today. So starting in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, awesome. If not, you can follow along on the screens behind me. Uh, we also have Bibles on the table back there. If you don't own one, please take that as our gift for you. I'd love for you to take that home. Uh, but Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, it says this. Now, when they heard this, that's when they heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. What that means is uh, Peter preached a whole lot more words than what's recorded here. So don't be like, hey, Travis, why you preach so long when Peter's sermon took you like three minutes to read through? All right, I want to hear that because he said more. All right, y'all, it was a longer sermon. Give me, give me a break here. So he continued to exhort them. He continued to preach and talk to them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and, and get this, this is just mind-blowing, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. What that means is 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus that day. That, that's wild, y'all. That's crazy. 3,000 people. I mean, just imagine how big this crowd must have been if 3,000 put their faith in Jesus, right? We're not led to believe that, that everybody there did. Now, this is a massive crowd, and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, so again, Peter, Peter preaches this sermon, and, and the crowd asks, okay, okay, what do we do? Based on what you've said, based on what you've told us about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what are we supposed to do? And Peter tells them, do two things. Do two things. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And these are two commands in the original language. That they are commands given to these people. These are things that they are supposed to do. They're supposed to repent, and they're supposed to get baptized. So here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to look in detail at these two commands because they're extremely important. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to break this up over two weeks, all right? So yes, we're going to spend two weeks in four verses. I know, it'll be fun. Uh, so we're going to spend this week talking about repentance, and then next week we're going to talk about baptism. And look, I, I, I'm telling you, at some point we are going to speed up. I promise we'll, we'll be taking larger chunks. But, but these are two, like, so much is happening in the first two chapters of Acts that I just want to slow down and make sure we understand what's happening, because we're going to see baptism and repentance a lot 
in the book of Acts. We need to make sure what's going on and make sure we're all on the same page about this. So that's why we're going to really camp out here and hang out in these two ideas for the next two weeks. So again, this week, we're going to be looking at repentance. Now, repentance is a popular topic throughout your Bible. You're going to see that word a lot. In fact, Jesus's first sermon was repent for the kingdom is near, right? So Jesus even talks a lot about repentance. You probably heard me say the word repent or repentance a lot. It's a common theme in scripture. But what does it mean? What does it mean? Repentance or repent is, comes from the Greek word metanoia, Greek word metanoia. And it essentially means to change, means to change. You're doing one thing and now you're doing something else. You've changed your mind, you've changed your behavior, your lifestyle, you've changed something. You, you, again, you were doing one thing and now you've changed and you're doing something else. That's what repentance, the base level of it, what that means. So as Peter tells us here, repentance is the first step in our salvation process. It is the first step that we want to put our faith in Jesus. We want to become a Christian. Then then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to repent. We're supposed to repent. We're supposed to to change our ways. We're supposed to change our beliefs, right? That's what he's talking about here. So there's at some point for all of us who are followers of Jesus, you're a Christian in here, there was a time in your life where you went from not believing to believing, from not following Jesus to to following Jesus. Now, it might happen over the course of time. You might not be able to pinpoint an exact day and time and whatever was happening in that exact moment, but there was a point in your life where you were not a believer, and now you are a believer. That's repentance. You've changed. You went from not believing to believing. So this is part of our initial salvation process. So these 3,000 people went from not believing to believing. And remember Peter's sermon, right? Remember what we talked about last week when we, at the beginning of his sermon, he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And at the end of that quotation, we see in verse 21, is that what, what does Joel tell us? What does Peter tell us to do? It says, if you want to be saved, right? If you want to avoid the coming judgment of God, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to call out to the Lord. We call out to the Lord for salvation. And now Peter tells them, You want to know what it looks like to call out to the Lord? You want to know what it looks like to call out to Jesus for salvation? It looks like repentance. It looks like repentance. You are to repent. And when we do that, when we cry out to God, when we put our faith in him, when we repent, when we change, when we go from not believing to believing, as Peter says here, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. We're saved, and we're supposed to get baptized to demonstrate what happened in our life. Like, that's what Peter is talking about here. Now, before we get into the specifics of repentance, I want to deal with, with one thing that comes up in this passage. I hope you know by now that uh, I don't want to just skip over uh, the difficult or uncomfortable parts of Scripture. I want to talk about it, dig into it. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw myself into hot water here at the beginning of my sermon. Um, it'll be fun. So uh, before we move on, what I want to point out is, is what's happening in the salvation process And what we want to see here is verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what we're told here, what this means for us, is that the Lord is the one who initiates our salvation process. So we're told to call out to the Lord, yes, but it is also the Lord calling us to himself. The Lord is at work in our salvation process process. Even uh, when it says here, and this translation doesn't help, but verse 40, Peter tells them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Uh, Save yourselves is a terrible translation. It should be translated, be saved, because this verb is is what's called a passive verb. This means that that is something that's happening to us, not something that we're doing. So right there, we even see God is working in the salvation process. This is his work. He's the one doing this. We can't save ourselves because we're sinners, right? We, We can't do this. God has to do this. So God is at work in our salvation process. It starts with him. So God's job is to call us. God's job is to save us. And our job is to repent, to call out to the Lord, and then get baptized. So that's the salvation process that we see here in Acts chapter 2. So repentance, like I said, is, is part of this initial salvation process. But is this the only time that we repent is, okay, I went, I went from not believing to believing. So I, I repented, and my sins are forgiven, and I'm done, right? I don't have to repent anymore? Is that, is that how it's supposed to work? No, no, not at all. Not at all. We, as believers, we are to live a life of repentance. Repentance is supposed to be uh, an everyday part of my existence as a Christian. This is something that we are to do every single day. 
Martin Luther, when, when he nailed his 95 theses to the, the doors of the church in Wittenberg, uh, Germany, when he kick-started the Protestant Reformation, these 95 statements about the church, his first one was this. He said, when Jesus says to repent, that means he wants the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Our entire lives are to be one of repentance. So this is what I, wanna, I wanted to spend some time here in this, because if we're supposed to do this every single day, this is supposed to be part of our regular parts of our lives as a Christian, then we should probably make sure we, we know what it means and what it looks like, right? So let's spend some time talking about this. I want to point out three things that we see about repentance in this passage, three things about repentance. So number one, for the note takers out there, number one, repentance starts with godly remorse. Repentance starts with godly remorse. Well, let's back up here to verse 37. What's the first thing we see? First thing we see is now when they heard this sermon, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. That phrase means that they were, they were deeply remorseful. They were deeply remorseful. See, what's going on here is for the very first time, they're seeing their sin clearly. For the very first time, this crowd is seeing clearly who Jesus is and what they did to Jesus. So Jesus, what they're seeing now, they're seeing clearly with their eyes wide open now, they're seeing that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God. And what did they do to Jesus? As Peter tells them, they, they rejected Jesus and they killed Jesus. They killed God. They, they killed the Messiah. They killed the Christ. They rejected him. So they're seeing their sin for the first time and, and they're broken over it. They're distraught over it. They're, they're cut to the heart. And this is the first step in repentance. This is the first step in repentance. We actually have to see our sin clearly and be remorseful about it. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul presents these, these two ideas. It's not just feeling bad. It's not just feeling remorseful. We have to have a, a godly remorse. We have to have a godly grief over our sin versus a, a worldly grief. Now, now, what's the difference? How can we tell the difference? Um, I, I like to think of it in terms of, of when my kids get in trouble. So I've got three kids um, the baby, uh, you know, we're not going to count her. She's a baby. She gets a pass. But uh, the other two, my older two, they're, they're, they're five and six. And when they get in trouble, like sometimes they're really broken about it. Like you can just see it on their face. Like the tears are coming. They're snot all over. Like they're just really broken and upset about what they did. Most of the time, though, it's just like, you know, yeah, dad, whatever, right? They don't really care. They're not really phased by it. I'm trying to talk to them. I'm trying, hey, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do that. You got to act a different way. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh, sure. You can just see it on their face. They're not listening to anything I'm saying. They're paying no mind to what I'm telling them because they don't really care. They don't really care. Or sometimes it's, it's you know, they feel bad, but they just, they just feel bad they got caught, right? Like, you just feel bad they got caught. They just feel bad that, you know, they were trying to get something a certain way, and now they're upset that it didn't go their way, right? Like, that's, that's what's going on sometimes. And look, if, if we're honest, that, that's us, us with our sin, right? Like, sometimes we feel bad, but, but we just feel bad we got caught. We're not really remorseful over what we did. We don't really see it as sin. We're just like, oh, man, be a little bit more sneaky next time. We're just sad we got caught. Or we're just upset that it didn't go the way that we thought it was going. Or we're upset and, and we, just, we just sit in that guilt and that shame and that remorse and we just stay there. We don't, we don't move beyond that. We just stay there. Those are all signs of worldly grief. That's not godly grief. That's not godly remorse. No, no, godly remorse, yes, we're broken over our sin. Yes, we're upset about our sin. But godly grief, godly remorse leads us back to God. It leads us back to God. We don't, we don't stay in our guilt and our shame. We don't stay just feeling bad for ourselves and just wallowing in self-pity. We're not really, uh, you know, just sorry that we got caught or sorry that it didn't work out. No, no, we're truly broken over our sin. And as a result of that, we run back to God. That's godly remorse. That's what we're talking about here. We, we, we're truly grieved over our sin. We, we see the damage and, and the, the disastrous results that it causes, not just in our lives, but the lives of those around us. And we're broken over that, and we want to run back to God. So that's godly remorse. 
And as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2, I just want to point out, like, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is part of what he does. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8. He says, when he comes, when the Spirit comes, what's he going to do? He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's, he's, he's supposed to convict us. So yes, when we mess up and you've got that pit in your stomach, when you, when you stumble into sin, when you make that mistake, when you do that thing, you said, I'm never going to do that again, and then you do it, that, that feeling that you get, that you just, you just feel icky and you're like, oh, this is just bad, oh, I, just, I don't like that, like that, that feeling that you get, that's the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's doing. He's not just making you feel that way to just have you sit in that and just be miserable. No, that's not what he's doing. He convicts us concerning sin and righteousness. He convicts us so that he can bring us back to God. He convicts us to lead us to repentance. That's godly remorse. That's how we know we're truly broken over our sin. I see it for what it is, and I want to go back to Jesus. I don't want to go this way anymore. I want to go back to Jesus. So repentance starts with godly remorse. Number two, number two, repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. So like we said, repentance means to change. Another way to look at it is to turn, is to turn. It's, you know, I'm going one way, and then I turn, and now I'm going another way. That's repentance. So when it comes to repentance, this is how we want to think of it. This is how we need to think of it. When I repent, when I truly repent, I have to turn from sin and to God. All right, so imagine sin is over here, God's over here. So sin, when I'm sinning, I'm going this way, right? I'm, I'm going this way towards sin. I'm over here with sin. But when I want to repent, I got to turn and go this way. I got to go towards God. That's repentance. That's what it means to repent. We, we turn from sin and we turn to God. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I, so I, I grew up in church and uh, I grew up going to student ministry, all that good stuff. And I don't know about you, but what I was taught about repentance at times growing up, what it, was, it was a lot of this first step, right? It was a lot of just turning from sin, right? It was a lot of, hey, stop doing that stuff. That's what youth pastors love to preach that. Like, hey, kids, stop being crazy, all right? Stop doing that with your life. Stop doing that. And sometimes we need to be told that, like, just stop, all right? You're being a sinner. You need to stop that. But it was just stop, turn away from sin. You know, youth pastors love to preach about run away from sin, flee sin, run away, run away, right? Like, that's all it was, though. So I, I, I turned from sin, but then, like, what, what do I do now? What do I do now? And if I don't turn from sin and to God, what usually happens is I turn from sin and I turn to myself. So I do this, I do this like half turn. I know I'm not supposed to do this anymore, so I want to stop. I want to turn away from that, but then I don't, I don't know where to turn to, so I turn to myself. And what that tends to look like is it, when you turn to yourself, you, you, you just kind of cave in sometimes, and you just, you just stay in that feeling bad part. You just sit in your guilt and your shame and your remorse, and you think, oh, man, I'm a terrible Christian. How can I do that? I say I want to like, love Jesus, and here I am doing this. Oh, I can't believe it. I know I promised God last week that I was never going to do this again, and now here I am. I'm doing this, and we just, we just sit in that self-pity. That's not turning to God. That, that's turning to ourselves. That's turning to ourselves. Or sometimes what we do, and this is, you know, unintentional, I think this is what was taught to me growing up, is I turn to myself and I, and I turn to works. I turn to works. I turn to, okay, I need to stop doing that, and in order to stop doing that, well, I just got to try harder, right? I just got to, I just got to be a better Christian, right? I just got to, I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to, I got to just give it more effort. I just got to, I just got to try harder, rest in my own strength kind of mindset. Like, I just got to, I just got to be a better person. And look, that, that works for a little bit. That works for a little bit. You, you can be a, whatever good Christian means, whatever that looks like. I mean, you can be that for a little bit on your own. But that's not going to last. That's not going to last. Eventually, you're, you're going to go back over here to your sin. Eventually, in your own strength, you're going to run out of energy, and you're going to go back over here. So that's not repentance. We don't just turn from sin. We don't just stop sinning. We don't just, you know, don't do that anymore. Yes, it's that. Yes, we shouldn't continue to sin, but we got to turn from sin and turn to God. So how, how do we do this? How, how, does, how does this work in our lives? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we turn from sin and turn to God? Well, I want to give you four ideas about how to do this, how to truly repent from sin. The first one, confession. 
So how do we turn from sin and to God? Confession starts here. And this goes along with remorse. This goes along with, with remorse in the first step of repentance. And the reason that is, is because we've got to know what we're repenting from, right? We've got to know what we're actually not supposed to do anymore, right? So we've got we to know what we're repenting from and what we're turning from. So we have to call out our sin. We have to confess it. We've got to be specific. It's not just, oh, Travis, you struggle with pride. No, no, I, I have to confess I, I'm prideful in the way I respond to my kids. I'm prideful in the way I respond to my spouse. You know, whatever it is, you've got to be specific. You've got to call it out by name. And we confess these to God. We confess these to the Lord. Now, here's the thing about confession. You're not, you're not informing God of something that he doesn't already know. It's not like, oh, man, Travis, you know, I didn't... I didn't realize you struggled with that. You know, thanks, thanks for letting me know. I appreciate that. You know, I was, you know, I thought you were pretty good there. But no, okay, I guess, you're, I guess not. No, we're, not, we're not telling God something he doesn't already know. God knows everything. He knows everything. But the reason we confess is because when we confess, we align our hearts with God. We align our hearts with God. God already knows what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling is a sin. He already knows that. What we do when we confess that, it tells them, yes, God, I know it too, and I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. I agree with you that what I'm doing and what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, whatever it is, whatever desires it is, whatever things I'm doing, yes, that's a sin. Yes, so it aligns our heart with God's. We're recognizing what we're doing is a sin, and we're calling it out as such. And hopefully within this process, the hope would be that our eyes are open to how damaging and how destructive our sin really is. Because I, sometimes we can just, you know, oh, it's just, you know, nobody else knows about this sin. It's a secret sin, right? Nobody knows about it. It's just affecting me. It doesn't affect anybody else. Like, we just kind of think it like that. And sometimes we, we treat our sin like it's just this little pet that we carry around. It's like, no, I've got it on a leash. It's fine. I got it under control, right? As long as I keep it in its cage, it's fine. I'm not going to hurt anybody. It's fine. But that's sometimes how we look at it. Now, I like to think of it sometimes... Um, our kids, they love going to the zoo. So we always get a, a zoo Atlanta pass every year because we go several times, so it's cheaper that way. So uh, we, we go to the zoo a lot, and, you know, they, they love stopping by all the different animals, especially the lions and the tiger area. And I love that too, man. It's just crazy to see these big animals like that close. And, then, you know, they're, they're behind this really thick glass thing, and, you know, a lot of times the lions are just laying there on the rock. And, you know, if you could just shrink them up a little bit and look like a little house cat, and you think, oh, man, the, those things are so cute, right? They're so cute. Look at them just laying there. I wish I could just go in there, just lay down next to them, just scratch the belly a little bit, like just you know, lay on that. No, guess what? If I did that, those lions would eat my face off. They'd eat my face off, y'all, because that's what they're wired to do. They are wired to kill. They are apex predators. And when they see me, all they see is lunch. They don't see a friend. They see something to eat up right now. That's our sin. That's our sin. Our sin is not just some little pet lion that we can just cuddle up next to. No, it will eat your face off. That's our sin. That's how damaging and destructive our sin is. And when we confess, when we truly confess, we're seeing our sin for what it really is. So we need to confess our sin. Second thing about turning from sin and turning to God is we are to identify and tear down idols. Identify and tear down idols. Now, here's what I mean by that. Our fight against sin, our, our war against sin, you know, when Paul says, hey, put sin to death, a lot of times that battle has to be fought at a heart level, at a desire level. And what, what we learn when we study scripture is all sin that we struggle with, all these, you know, bad behaviors that we see in our lives, all these things that we say we shouldn't do anymore, all of that can ultimately be traced back to an idol in our hearts an idol in our hearts. And, you know, sometimes when I say idol, our, our minds immediately go to like Old Testament. So the men on Wednesdays, we're, we're going through the book of Daniel and it's like clearly, okay, Nebuchadnezzar built this giant gold statue. That, that's an idol. Clearly that's an idol, right? And we just think of idols in terms of it's this, this object, this thing that I've created that I worship. Or, you know, I go outside and I, I worship the sun, right? Like that's what we think of a false god or an idol. And like, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not worshiping some little thing that I whittled and laying it on my, my mantle at home where I'm not going outside during the day and bowing down to the sun. So I don't have idols, right? No, we all have idols. We all have things that we desire, that we long for, that we want more than Jesus. That's an idol. John Calvin 
The great reformer tells us that, he says that, that our hearts are like perpetual idol factories. That's what our hearts do. Our hearts just crank out idols, new ones, left and right. And sometimes a bunch of old ones that just keep coming out, right? That's what our hearts do. Tim Keller, pastor and author, says this about idols. He defines it this way. He says, our idols are those things that we count on to give our lives meaning. They are the things of which we say, I need this to make me happy. Or if I don't have this, my life is worthless and meaningless. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll start to see, man, we've, we've got a lot of idols in our hearts. We got a lot of things that we chase after and we live for in this life that we long for more than Jesus, that we desire more than Jesus. And they can even be good things, right? It doesn't always have to be these evil, wicked things that we're desiring. Sometimes it's good stuff that we've turned into an idol and therefore it becomes a sin. They could be things like, like our jobs, right? It could be things like money, wealth, materialism, things like that. It could be comfort. Right, man, we're in America, like we all love peace and comfort. That can easily become an idol in our lives. Happiness, our kids or our spouse or or longing for a spouse, that can easily become an idol in our hearts. Approval of others, validation. I just just so you know, like just social media is built to be an idol in your life. Like that's, that's the way it was designed. You see those likes, you see those comments, you see that interaction. It does something in your brain that go, ooh, I like that. I, I, want, I like that and I want more of that. I want that. That's what it's designed to do. That's an idol. That's an idol. That thing we're like, ooh, I need that. Oh, I really want that. I long for that. Man, if I, I'd be happy if I just had this. That's an idol. That's an idol in our hearts. So in order to truly turn from sin and turn to God, we have to find these idols. We've got to tear them down and destroy them and direct our desires back to Jesus. That's how we have to fight sin. We have to identify these idols. And look, it goes deeper than behavior. Like too often we just think of fighting our sin as behavior modification. You know, oh, I I struggle with anger, so let me just try not to be angry anymore. Oh, I struggle with lust, so let me just put a bunch of filters on every device that I have, and that way I won't ever do that again. We just fight it with behavior modification. Well, guess what? If you don't deal with that heart of lust that you have right here in you, then guess what? It's just a matter of time before you find those loopholes and you find those workarounds, you find those ways to lie and cover back up and do the things that you said, I'm never going to do again. Because you just dealt with the behavior. You just dealt with the fruit. You didn't deal with the roots of what's going on. This is what it means to fight our sin. So we can't just do behavior modification. We have to do heart modification. We have to change our hearts. We have to fight this at a desire level. So to identify an idol, yes, start with the fruit. Start with the behavior and then trace it back to what's going on in your hearts. Trace it back to what's going on here. We have to ask ourselves things like, uh, what, what's going on behind that action? What's going on behind that desire? What, what, what's going, what am, I, what am I really wanting? Why did I react the way that I reacted, right? So what, when, we're, when we're struggling with sin, we're trying to figure out, okay, what's really going on here? We've got to ask ourselves these kind of questions. We have to ask, you know, what was I wanting or desiring or wishing for? Or on, on the other side of it, what, what was... You know, if I struggle with fear and anxiety and things like that, what, what was I fearing? What was I, what was I really worried about? What did I think that I really needed that I, that I didn't get? What or, or in whom was I truly trusting? What was I loving most? What, what was I hating? Sometimes that can tell us what an idol is. Who was I trying to please? Who, whose opinion in that moment mattered most? What would, have, what would have brought me in that moment the greatest sense of happiness or comfort or peace or fulfillment? And look, here's the thing. We got to be honest with ourselves, right? We got to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes, you know, we just, we're, a little, we're a little light on ourselves. So maybe you get somebody else in. If you're married, get your spouse and be like, hey, you know, when I'm doing this, what, what do you think is really going on? Ask me these questions. Help me try to get to the heart matter. 
So, you know, so if you struggle with anger, so think about it this way. If I struggle with anger, when I'm angry, typically it's because I'm not getting something that I really want. Like, that's kind of the base level of it. Like, I'm getting mad because something's not happening that I really want to happen, so I'm mad about it. That's what's going on. So what we ask, ask ourselves, when I'm angry, what am I not getting that I really want? Or when I struggle uh, with, with worry and fear, what, what's being threatened? What's being threatened? That's going to help point you to an idol. When, when, I'm, when I'm struggling, when I'm, when I'm just wallowing in that self-pity, I need to ask myself, what have I lost or failed at that's causing me to feel this way? A really easy question to ask ourselves is, is what's the honest answer to, I would be really happy if I just had blank. I'd be really happy. I'd be really at peace. I'd be really joyful. I'd be really content if I just had blank. That blank, it's not Jesus, will help you find an idol. So this is how we get to the heart of our sin. This is how we not just deal with behavior modification. We fight this at a heart level, at a desire level. This is how we truly have to turn from our sin and turn to God. This is what repentance looks like. All right, so we've got to confess. We have to identify and tear down idols. Third thing about turning from sin and to God is we've got to remember that Jesus is better than our sin. So now that we see that these desires, these things that we're longing for, are ultimately sinful, I've got to turn from my sin, right? How do, I, how do I direct that back to God? I remember the beautiful truth that Jesus is better than everything. Jesus is better than whatever I'm longing for. Jesus is better than whatever idols I'm putting in my life. Jesus is better than all of that. He's better than all of that. So the, the answer to, to all of our longings for peace or comfort or, or joy or security or approval and acceptance, love, joy, fulfillment, you just name it, all of those longings, they find their answer in Jesus. They find their answer in Jesus. And look, our God is a good God that wants to give his kids good gifts. The Christian life is not this, you know, boring kind of life that just Jesus is like, no, I just want you to be miserable while you're here on earth. Or I just want you to hate your life while you're here on earth so you just love heaven all the more, right? Like, no, that's not, that's not what's going on, y'all. That's not what's going on. He wants to give us good things. It doesn't mean we're going to have the best life ever. It doesn't mean we're always going to get what we want. It doesn't mean that we're just going to have the easiest life with no suffering. No, that's not what it means. But it means that our God is good and he loves us. And he wants to give us good gifts. And in him is where true and ultimate life is found. It's not found in these other things. It's found in Jesus. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. And it says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now this, this is the life that God calls us to. This is the life he wants to give us. But so often, so many times, so much of my life is spent on living and laboring for that which does not satisfy chasing after things that I think is going to fulfill me, think that these, this is what's going to give me what I so long for, what I so think I need. That's where I'm going to find it. It's going to be found in this. No, it's found in Jesus. All these other things are, are living for that which is not bread, laboring for that which does not satisfy. And here's Jesus saying, hey, you're thirsty. You're hungry. Come to me. Come to me. You're longing for something. You're wanting something. You're, hey, come, find it in me. That's the call to Jesus. Come, be satisfied in him. He wants to give us what is good, right? He wants to, to delight us in rich food. That's what our God wants to do. He is so much better than anything we could ever live for, anything we could ever chase after. So when those sinful desires come, talk yourself through it. This is why we gotta, we got to slow down when temptation comes. We've got to slow down when these sinful things start to creep up in our lives. We've got to slow down and talk ourselves through it. What am, I, what am I really looking for? What am I really longing for? What, what, why do I want this so bad? 
Why do I want this to happen so bad? And then, and then how does Jesus ultimately provide this for me? How do I find that what I'm longing for, that what I'm desiring so much for? How do I ultimately find it in Jesus? And y'all, when we remember who Jesus is and what he's done, why would we ever live for these things? Why would I chase after that? Why would I go down that road anymore? No, no, I, I want to go to Jesus because he's better than my sin. So we got to confess, we have to identify and tear down idols, we have to remember that Jesus is better than our sin. And the last part about turning from our sin and turning to Jesus is we walk in Jesus' victory. We walk in Jesus' victory. And here's what this means. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. You mean like actually preach out like you do, Travis, like yell at us about the gospel? Yes! Yes, yell at yourself about the gospel. Y'all, it's good news! It's good news, and we need to be reminded of it. So let me just remind us of the gospel for a moment. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, it says this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. What that means is before Christ, I'm really sinful. I'm really messed up. My whole life is characterized by sin. I am dead in my sin. All I want is sin. That's all my heart wants. I'm dead in my sin, living for sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. God made alive together with him. Who made alive? God. God made alive. Again, he's the one that does this. This is his work. We're dead in our sins and God makes us alive together with him. That's Jesus. Makes us alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How much of our trespasses? All, all our trespasses, all of them forgiven by Jesus. And how does he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What that means is is in our sin, we are found guilty. We are guilty and we are deserving of God's judgment. We are deserving of his wrath. The Lord has looked at our heart and our lives and our wickedness and our sin and says, you're guilty. You've sinned against me and you're guilty. But the good news of the gospel is that he takes all of that guilt, all of that debt, all of that, that sin that we've stored up and he wipes it clean. He wipes it clean and he nails it to the cross of Christ. On the cross, Jesus takes on all of our sin. He takes on all of our guilt. He takes on all of our shame. He takes it all. He gives us a clean record. All of our sins forgiven, past, present, future sins, all forgiven at the cross of Christ. That's the gospel. But y'all, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. That, that phrase, the rulers and authorities, that, that, that's speaking of Satan and his demons and his many schemes and the sinful world that we're in. What did Jesus do to them? He put them to open shame triumphed over them completely, complete victory of Jesus. There was not a battle at Calvary. No, there was a beatdown by Jesus Christ. Wasn't even close. It was a beatdown by Jesus, and now he's put them to open shame. I love that idea. I love the idea of looking at Satan, and you're just, you've, been, you've been beat down so bad, you're just in open shame for all of us to look at you. I love that image. That's what Jesus does. So when it comes to fighting our sin, we don't do it in our own strength. We're not the ones that triumphed over sin. No, that's Jesus. And he calls us to walk in his victory, live in his victory. Y'all, what that means is sin is not inevitable. When that temptation comes and those, when those sinful desires creep up, it doesn't automatically mean we have to give in to that. Sin is not inevitable. That sin that we're struggling with, Jesus has already defeated that. He's already beat it. He's already won the victory, and he just calls us to rest in and walk in his victory. We don't have to fight it on our own. We don't have to fight it in our own strength. No, no, Jesus has already done that. Jesus has already done that. We just got to rest in his victory. I love how, how Titus 2 11 through 12 puts it. It says, for the, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That word renounce 
means to not have any relationship or association with. We are to renounce our sin. Meaning, I don't, I don't have any relationship or association with this anymore. I've renounced that sin. And sometimes, y'all, we just got to tell that to ourselves. Sometimes we got to just say it out loud. You're like, yeah, you preach the gospel out loud and say that. Yes, sometimes you got to. I renounce this old way. I'm done with you. I've got no association with you anymore. I'm with Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. So we don't fight this battle on our own. Jesus has already fought, and Jesus has already won. We can rest in his power and rest in his victory. All right, so repentance starts with godly remorse. Repentance is is turning from our sin and turning to God. And the third thing we'll end here, repentance is a change in lifestyle. It's a change in lifestyle. So repentance starts with with our heart, right? It starts with conviction. It starts with with turning our desires from sin and to Jesus. But then it's got to filter all the way down to our behavior. It's got to filter all the way down to our lifestyle. Remember, repentance is a change, right? It's a turn. And and it's not a a half turn. That's not a turn. That's that's a little bit of a turn. It's It's not a half change. No, it's a full turn. It's a full change. That full change has to include the way that I'm living. Look at, again, what Peter says in verse 40. He says that we are to save ourselves from this wicked, from this crooked generation. That's what he calls us to do. It's this Old Testament way of saying, hey, y'all, you were, you were living this way. You got to stop that now. You were doing this. Now you got to stop. You were living over here with this sinful generation doing these things you're not supposed to do. Now you got to stop. It's this call to be holy, to be Christ-like with our lives. It's a call to stop the sinful ways that we were living, right? Jesus has changed us. The gospel has changed us. The spirit has changed us. And now we're to live for him. So yes, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we really want to battle our sin, it does mean saying no to certain things. It does mean stopping certain parts of our lives, saying, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, When I... Uh, moved from uh, Buford to Decula a few years ago. Uh, we, I was working at a church in Buford, and I, we used to live pretty close to that church. And, and when I would, the way I would go home is I, w- I would go down this one road, I'd pass by one light, and then I'd turn at the next light. But when I moved to Decula, I had to go home a different way. But it was still, I'd start out on that same road, but instead of going to the second light, I'd have to turn at the first light. And I don't know if you guys have ever done this when, when you've moved or changed jobs, but there was one day I was driving home and I just blew right past that light and I went down to the next light and I turned right and they're like halfway to my old house. I was like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't, I don't live here anymore. This is, not, this is not the way I get home. And I had to turn around and go a different way. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that, but, but I realized, I was like, no, 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 I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to go this way anymore, right? Like I don't, I don't live here anymore. I live, I live over here and I need to go over here to where I actually live because this is not where I live anymore. That's what it looks like to live for Jesus. It means that, that we don't go that way anymore, right? I, I don't turn that way anymore. I don't go there anymore. I go with Jesus. I follow Jesus. I don't turn down this road anymore. I don't go over there to that area anymore. No, no, I, I, I go with Jesus. I turn this way because I've changed. I'm different. I'm not going back here anymore. I'm going with Jesus. I'm going with him. I'm leaving my life of sin behind him, and I'm living this new life in Jesus. And look, again, this isn't isn't done in our own strength. It's not just, you know, me just, oh, I just got to try harder to not go that way anymore. No. This is is the work of the Spirit, right? Another thing that the Spirit does is it sanctifies us. That, That word sanctify means to make us more like Jesus. And what that means is, Romans 8, I love how Paul puts it. I don't have this verse for you, but look at Romans 8. He talks about how as we grow in the Spirit, as we grow in Christ, what it means is is we're yielding more and more to the Spirit and less and less to sin. It means that I'm saying yes and yes to Jesus more and no to my sin. And look, sometimes those days are, are like, you know, I'm taking two steps forward and then like 14 steps backwards, right? Or sometimes I take 10 steps forward, like it's been a really good week, and then, you know, a couple steps backwards. It's this this up and down, this roller coaster of sanctification in our lives. But if we could zoom out, what we'd want to see is this this trajectory of of slowly, every day, little bit by little bit, being more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to leave our old life behind. We're not going to do it perfectly. 
We're still going to struggle. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to stumble and fail in many ways. And that's why, that's why the life of a believer is to be one of continual repentance. It's to be one of, of regular, everyday repentance. Yeah, I think that it's, it's a lot like, like pulling weeds. You know, again, I, we thought, I thought spring was here, but you know, this is what Georgia does. It's like, hi, just kidding. No, no, no spring. Yes, I know it was 70 last week. Now it's 20. Good luck with that. All right, so, you know, spring comes, hopefully. At some point, eventually spring will get here, right? Let's pray for that to come soon. But at some point, spring's going to get here. When, when spring comes, we, we can kind of spruce up our yards a little bit, right? You know, we lay down new, new mulch, new pine straw. And part of what, what we do, my wife loves working out in the yard. So one of the things that we'll do right away is we'll start to try to get rid of the weeds, right? That the weeds that, that creep up and come out. And we got to do that every single year, right? Like every single year, we got to do that. And sometimes weeds come up real easy, right? Like you just spray it with a little bit of Roundup or you just yank it out, boom, it's gone, it's done. But some weeds are a little bit more tricky, right? Some you have to keep treating. Some you're like, man, I, 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 ju I just pulled that up two days ago and now it's back and bigger than ever. I don't know what's happening. Sometimes weeds are like that, right? Sometimes weeds you think, man, I've got this bed clear, we're good to go. And then like three weeks in, it's like, wait, what? Where, where'd that come from? This, this, this weed came out of nowhere. That's like our sin, y'all. That's like our sin. Some, some, some sin, and it's just easy. I mean, we renounce that, and it's like, it doesn't even creep up anymore. But some sin, we got to kill that off every single day. We got to dump a whole gallon of Roundup on it, and then dump some more on it the next day. Sometimes we think, man, I haven't struggled with this for years, and then all of a sudden, it creeps back up. And we got to kill it off again. This is the everyday battle for us. But we remember the gospel in these moments, right? We remember that Jesus has already forgiven us of all of those sins. Past, present, future, all forgiven by Jesus. We remember that Jesus has won the victory. We don't have to fight this battle on our own. And we remember that when we fail, when we stumble, when we make mistakes, we don't stay in our guilt and our shame. We don't just try to fix everything in our own strength. We don't just, just sit in our grief and our sorrow. No, no we, we turn back to God. We turn back to Jesus. Because the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Christ does for us, is he tells us that, that his grace and his mercy never runs dry. No matter how far we've fallen, no matter how much we've messed up, you cannot out sin the cross of Christ. You can try. Wouldn't recommend doing that, by the way. That's a bad way to go. Don't do that. But you can't. You cannot out sin the cross of Christ. There is always new mercies every single morning. So when we stumble, when we fail, let's repent and come back to Jesus. Let's remember that he is bigger and better than all of our sin. So in a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up, and, and we're going to do what we do every single Sunday, which is for the believers in the room, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've gone from not believing to believing, we have this time in our service every single Sunday for us to pause and reflect and remember the gospel through participation in communion. So every single Sunday, we, we have this moment where we, we spend some time in prayer as long as you need. So when I, when I pray and the band comes, take the time that you need. Prepare your heart. Spend some time in prayer reflecting on the gospel. Maybe, you know, I say it every week, but, but now that we've talked about repentance, maybe, maybe there is some sin they need to repent from. Maybe, maybe there's some sin that you just just kind of turn halfway, right? You just, you just turned a little bit, and I need to make that complete turn back to Jesus. Take some time. Repent as you're led, as you're ready. Believers in the room, we go to the tables on either side. We take the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus on the cross. We take the cup that represents his shed blood for my sin. We take, we eat, we drink, and, and we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those here that, that might not be a believer, I, I love that you're here. 
please keep, keep coming. I want you to come back. But I want to be clear that this, this time is only for believers. This time is, is not for those that have not believed because it is time for us as believers to remember the sacrifice and celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus has made. But I want you to know that, that Peter's call goes out to us all. If the Lord has brought to mind some conviction, if you're feeling that weight, that brokenness of the crowd, and you're saying, what, what do I do? Come to Jesus. Call out to the Lord. Repent and come to Jesus. This is what he does. He saves. He redeems. He makes new. He forgives us of all of our sin. He takes on the weight of our guilt and our shame and our failures. And he gives us new life in him. So just like what Peter says to the crowd, all you got to do is repent and trust in Jesus. Come to Jesus. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to save me. That's all we do. So if you want to do that, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, again, all you got to do is tell him that. You don't need a special word from me. You don't have to say certain things. And you just got to tell Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I want you, Jesus. I'm done with this. I don't want to go this way anymore. I want to go this way. Repent and come to Jesus and then participate in, in your first communion as a believer. And then come let me know or somebody know so we can jump up and down and celebrate and go crazy because, because you were dead and now you're alive. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your salvation. Lord, for how, how you call, how you work, how, how, you, how you have us go from, from dead to alive. God, that is all you, Jesus, and thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for that. Lord, lead us to a life of repentance. Lord, let us, don't, uh, let us not, not stay in our sin and sit in our guilt and sit and just try to be better, right? That's not what you've called us to do, Jesus. Lead us to godly repentance, a life of repentance, Lord. Give us the strength to tear down these idols. Lord, and let us, let us walk and rest in your victory over our sin. Lord, remind us of your truth, of your word, of your gospel, Lord. So we thank you. We praise you for all that you've done, Jesus. We, we give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor, Lord. We love you, and it's in your name we pray.